Hi there, I'm Sheena and this is the Lesbian Review Podcast. This podcast is a spin-off of the popular review site thelesbianreview.com, where we review the best books, movies and music with leading lesbian, bi or queer women. The goal of this podcast is to bring you closer to the best queer media and give you access to interviews with people who are behind the scenes in creating it. I'm Sheena and I'm joined today by Kelly Ayton, also known as Kay Ayton, author and reviewer at The Lesbian Review. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to talk about books. So Kelly's joining me because she did a top 10 books of 2018 list and today she's talking about her three favorites from that list. What did a book have to do to make it onto this list? So my top 10 list is really just... It's my favorite books. My favorite books, as anyone that has followed me, any of my posts on TLR, I have certain criteria, which is the uh, think, feel, and discuss. I like books that really make me think, really make me feel, or really make me want to discuss them with other people. Where you read a book and you're like, this is the best book I've ever read. I love this book. I need to tell you about it. I need you to read it. I want somebody else to read it so we can talk about it together. You know, and then there are other books that just make you feel so much. And, and so it's not always maybe good feelings, but sometimes it's complicated in it. And it just leaves your heart just so full of competing emotions, you know, whether it's upset or angst or, or love or, or sadness. And it, not every book can touch you so deeply. That is the makings of a, of a favorite book for me is something that can touch me deeply. Or when I finish reading the book, I just stop because everything goes quiet and I have to think about it. I have to think about what I just read and how it relates to the world around me, how it relates to me. So that's really the basis for the hashtag think, hashtag feel, hashtag discuss. Those are my favorite books. And usually the books that I like the best will touch on more than one of those those items, will will make me want to talk about it, will make leave me feeling so much or or leave me kind of thinking about the world around me when I'm done. So that is the basis and the three books that are at the top of my top 10 are the ones that just left me feeling, thinking, and discussing the most. It's pretty simple. So let's get cracking on, on your very first pick. So this particular book has made a couple of top 10 lists for the 2018 best of lists. So tell us about it. Oh, A Compass Rose by Anna Burke. I'm going to say that this book was my delight of 2018 and also my agony of 2018. As a reader, it is my delight because it is my favorite book that I've read this year. It absolutely blew me away. It was amazing. And as an author, it puts me right down in the dumps because the book is so amazing and it is in a competing genre with me. So we both have books coming out this year and it directly competes with me. And, you know, when you uh, you know, I'm going to do a painting and this person over here is going to do a painting and wow, their painting is amazing. And I'm just going to put mine away now. So, but it actually leaves me more delightful because in the end, like I write because I like to, but I read because it's something that has always been a part of me. So Compass Rose by Anna Burke absolutely hits. I finished this book and I was feeling, I was thinking because it's a dystopian. It's set 500 years into the future. And it really left me just thinking about the world and, and about the effects and the environment and how we as humans who are really good at adapting to things would adapt to this sort of future. And also it made me discuss and, and the more people that read it and the more people that love it, like the more chance I have of 
talking about this book with people. It just kind of blew me away. And I, I got the pleasure of meeting Anna Burke at GCLS in Vegas, and she is very sweet. Just, just a wonderful person. So I wish her all the best. But yes, this book blew me away, and I know that it's blown other people away as well. So Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, wins all sorts of awards and whatnot. Absolutely. And isn't it nice when you meet somebody and they're actually a genuinely like awesome person? That just adds something for me. I, you know, I agree. You know, it's what is the the uh, the saying? Don't meet your heroes, right? And I wouldn't say that authors are my heroes, like in the big H sense, but every author is my hero in the little H sense because you know they are doing something for me. They are writing material that I love, and again, it's a passion for me. But they're also every author that's a hero is a hero for me as a writer because I want to see. You know, I know I just said that competing genres, but bottom line, I want to see more people writing. I want to see more people writing about a diverse variety of subjects and characters. And I think the more that we kind of flood the world with things that best represent us, the more we make it the norm and we're no longer outsiders, if that makes any sense at all. And even outsiders in a, in a genre sense. So obviously romance is a huge genre. It's, you know, biggest part of the pie, especially with lesbian fiction. And I want to show that you can get all of the things you love in a romance novel in other genres. You can have romance, you can have mystery, and it can be a sci-fi. And some of the sci-fi are not like out there, like, you know, space drama, which I love, but some of them are just a little bit sci-fi that make you look at the world differently, maybe show the world in a slightly future place what the world could be. And it doesn't have to be, you know, people with tentacles. It can be whatever flavor you like and still get those things you love. But it gives you, I think it expands your options for fiction. Because with romance, you know, you kind of have those same tropes. But look, if you love those tropes, you can find them in science fiction and get even more themes and variety or fantasy or mystery. And in science fiction, thrillers, anything that isn't romance-based, you can have the incidental lesbian. And that is such an important thing for us to A, cross over into mainstream, and B, normalize being a lesbian without sexualizing it. Exactly. I like to tell people that I started reading science fiction fantasy when I was small, just little, probably younger than I should have been with the stuff I was reading. But that's what happens when you find bags of books in your parents' closet. I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I just mean that. And, you know, I was reading books over my age limit because I was such a voracious reader from a young age and you know i i started reading all of this stuff when i was younger and you know the majority of hardcore science fiction and fantasy it isn't a romance and i love reading romance in those kind of books but you know i started out where they're not romance and honestly it could be anybody x y or z in that lead role male female gay straight you know anybody on the lgbtq or religious spectrum it doesn't matter who it is only that they're a hero or you know, they're solving a mystery. And I, I like to bring that to the mainstream to show that, you know, this person doesn't have to fit this way that you've always thought, but they can still give you a good story. Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to tell us the synopsis for Compass Rose? All right. Compass Rose in the year 2513, the only thing higher than the seas is what's at stake for those who are Salem. Rose or Compass Rose was born facing due north with this inherent perception of cardinal points kind of flowing through her veins. Her uncanny sense of direction earns her a coveted place in the archipelago fleet elite, 
And it also attracts the attention of Admiral Komita, who sends her on a secret mission deep into pirate territory. She's accompanied by a ragtag crew of mercenaries. She's under the command of this Captain Miranda, who's as bloodthirsty as she is alluring. So right there, you can see that it's going to be a little romancy. Rose discovers the hard way that even the best sense of direction won't be enough to keep her alive as she can't learn to navigate something far more dangerous than turbulent seas. Aboard the mercenary ship Man of War, Rose learns quickly that trusting the wrong person can get you killed, and Miranda's crew have no intention of making things easy for her, especially Miranda's trusted first mate, Orca, who is as stubborn as she is brutal. You know, sometimes you read a synopsis, and you're like, mm, and then you read the book, and you're like, ah, that doesn't really doesn't really fit sometimes. And then sometimes you read a synopsis, and you're like, yeah, yep, that hit every point, absolutely. You know, Rose is kind of floundering, I guess, when she... That's not a pun. She's floundering when she gets put aboard this mercenary ship. So she's always struggled, never fit in. So she really doesn't fit in the mercenary ship, but it's not really any different than what she faced with her own people. So she's always been a bit of an outsider. Does the synopsis hit or miss? I think it absolutely hits. It hits on all the, the interesting points. You get a sense right off the bat that there's going to be something between the captain and her. You know, the captain is bloodthirsty and alluring. And she really is bloodthirsty. She's a mercenary pirate captain. She's gotten where she is by not just breaking the law, but killing people and doing whatever it takes to keep her and her ship alive. There is a sense of she doesn't know who to trust. The people who she thinks want to kill her, you know, it, it might not be the case because you don't know who to trust. And the things that she thinks, the people that she thinks she should trust, um, sometimes have show a different face. So, um, and it's a very, it's a very complicated story. So while I think that the synopsis hits very well, there are so many layers that you don't get with just reading a synopsis, obviously. And I think it's like an iceberg with her book. As that you read the synopsis, you said, oh, you know, this sounds like a really good book. It's got a lot of stuff in it. And then you read the book and there's so much beneath, you can't even pick up from the synopsis. I think most good books do that, though. I mean, you can't possibly hit on all the plot points in a great book because it's just got so much going on. This is true. You know, I would say with some some science fiction, some other genres, even romance, that, you know, you get a plot, you read it, and for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. But like I said, this book is this book is like an onion. You know, when you think you peel away layers of it as you read it, uh, you discover more layers and more layers, and you're not really sure when it stops until you get to the end, and and then you've you've got all these layers that you've peeled away. And I think that's when you have a book like that. I think that's some of what makes me think because you're really trying to put those layers back together. It's like packing up nesting dolls, <laughs> Russian nesting dolls. When you read, you're like opening one, and then you open another and open another. When you get done. You're just left with the sense of like accomplishment and the sense of discover what's in the center. You finish the book, but then you kind of have to pack it all away again and, and learn how to, you know, put the pieces back together in order to really process this book. All right. What's your next choice? My next choice is actually uh, the fourth book of the Trafalgar and Boone series by Jen Cannon. This one is the uh, Children of the Burnt Empire. So I have been following Jen Cannon. Jen Cannon writes a variety of um, a variety of different genres. Uh, there are steampunk, science fiction, uh, fantasy, some um, dr dramatic fiction, romance. So, and some of my favorite books, a few of my absolute favorite books, are written by Jen. Uh, 
because I love musicians. So, but anyways, uh, Trafalgar and Boone and the Children of the Burnt Empire. Uh, it's a, I, I say it's a perfect blend of steampunk, mystery, adventure, diversity, and sexuality. So, uh, Jenna's very good about writing diverse characters, um, a diverse sexuality, open sexuality, you know, where people are free to kind of like be who they are, what they are, and, and unashamed about it, you know? Uh, so this one also got my think, feel, and discuss. Again, it's a, it's a favorite. So of the four books in the series, uh, the first one was a favorite. Absolutely. Because it's kind of like the intro to the series. And then the next two I really liked. They weren't favorites, but I really liked them. And then this one here, because of the way the plot turned and the intricacy and sometimes uh, trippiness of it, like it really put me back on that think, uh, think train and the feel train. So, you know, obviously some books you can read, they make you feel more. And maybe it's the same book in a different book in the same series. Maybe they'll make you feel more than a different book. So this one actually received all three of my tags because of just bringing all of those things together that I really like. So so if I was to start with this book, would I miss something from the beginning of the series? You know what? I, I Yes, you would. You would miss stuff from the series because you really miss the build-up this book takes you in a, in a new direction for some of the characters and the series is really good. And you, you will miss some buildup. Dorothy Boone, uh, Trafalgar and Boone is Dorothy Boone. She's kind of like an elite socialite, um, living in London and Miss Trafalgar. She's actually from originally from, I believe Africa and they're both adventurers, uh, in London they're both adventurers. They work with a, a group of other adventurers. So in the beginning, though, they were very much competing with each other. They were not friends. And that was the very first book. So the first book, something happens. They have to learn to kind of work together. So that was the start of it all. And, and it really, you really should read them in order. Um, you could read this book if you, say, even read the, the synopsis of the other books. You could read this book and start with it. But why would you? <laughs> I mean... Uh, it's just, if you have been reading the series, if you read the series, this one absolutely takes things in a different direction. You have one of the characters in Children of the Burnt Empire, Cora Hyde, who is a fellow adventuress. She um, dealt with some things in, say, the previous book, and this is kind of a, or the, the second book, and this is kind of a redemption for her, which I really like when a character kind of gets redeemed a little bit. So... You know, it really builds on the other books. It's a story in and of itself. You can read it, but if you really want that background on the characters, you know, to see, because you really get the depth of it, how far they have come if you read the previous books. Otherwise, it is a full, complete adventure story in and of itself. So, but sometimes, you know, you like to know more about the people that you're reading about, and that's where the other books come in, if that makes sense. Okay, so give us the synopsis of this one. So Dorothy Boone, she is uh, blaming herself for a devastating loss on their last adventure, and which I'm not going to say. It's in book three. Um, and Miss Trafalgar are offered a new mission from the Royal Geographical Society. Uh, it's an expedition to find the source of a mythical river that's gone missing in the Amazon rainforest, and their patrons, patrons want them found. So they are hired by the Royal Geographical Society to find these people looking for a mythical river. So it seems like the perfect low-threat endeavor to get the duo back to normalcy. So Dorothy and Trevalgar accept 
They are accompanied by Cora Hyde, who's also recovering from a loss, and the duo sets out for the jungle. Their safe undertaking soon turns perilous when they run afoul of a previously unknown tribe. They're known as the Burnt Empire. Dorothy and Trafalgar are separated in the scuffle and taken by two groups with similar goals but different tactics. The groups only agree on one point. The very existence of the Burnt Empire could lead to untold destruction. So it's there's a lot of mystery in here. When is it set? Oh, it, I want to say the Trafalgar and Boone are set in the 1800s. Okay. So it's it's definitely a steampunk kind of vibe. Steampunk meets maybe Lara Croft or Indiana Jones. Uh, they're not looking for these artifacts and these items to make a profit. They're doing it to to keep safe. Some of them are dangerous things that, that say, Dorothy Boone finds. She has a room that's heavily shielded to hold some of the more dangerous items, just to keep them out of nefarious hands. And there's there's a there's a background group that is always trying to kind of wreck the world, you know. So there's always that. But this this book in it itself is kind of a, a whole uh, story by itself, if that makes sense. They go on this adventure to find the missing crew, the missing team, and uh, and they end up obviously in dire straits, as adventurers usually do. Sounds fab. You're listening to The Lesbian Talk Show. TheLesbianTalkShow.com, your hub of podcast information. All right, and now we take a swing back towards sci-fi. Yeah, I would definitely call it sci-fi, but I would say it's a light sci-fi. Curved Horizon by Taylor Brook is actually the second book in her series, the Camellia Clock Cycle book series. The basis of this world, like I said, it's light, light science fiction. It's set now. The basis is that the scientists have created the ability to harness the direction of living energy and kind of pinpoint when two lines will merge. So infants are implanted with these little personalized chips beneath their thumbnail, and they have little glowing numbers on there that count down to the moment they will meet their soulmate. So fate is a calculation. So the the first book, which is, it actually involves two men meeting. They live in Southern California, like very different. One is a, one is a criminal and one is a cop. So these two men meet, and that is what the first book is about. I decided not to read the first book first. I went right into the second book, which is about the men's best friends. Obviously, very different as well. So it's kind of the sequel, but you don't have to read the first book because I didn't. I wanted to make sure that the second book was a story complete. And uh, so they're best friends. Uh, Aiden's best friend, Daisy, or Aiden's best friend, uh, Chelsea, and, and Shannon's best friend, Daisy. Uh, they're also very different, as different as the two guys. So they meet, um, they've been friends for a while and they don't realize that their, their thumbnails, their clocks are counting down. They don't realize in all the time that they've been friends that they are actually, they're each other's soulmates. So they're standing in the same room when their clocks count down. And I think what really made me love this besides Taylor Brooks prose, just phenomenal. The prose is phenomenal. But what really made me love this particular story is the fact that Taylor writes these two very different characters and shows that on the outside, you think they're very different, but some people can appear very different and have a lot of similarities that maybe they didn't even know, even if they were friends, until they started talking to each other 
and started really getting to know each other and seeing, wow, you know, we are a lot more similar than I thought we were, you know, and they're tested, obviously, um, when one of their friends is, is, uh, an accident happens and, and they kind of have to come together and, and it f- forces, um, it forces Chelsea to really kind of take a look at her life and all of the things that she has denied herself. And I think it really helps her connect better with Daisy. But this one right here um, also hit my think, feel, and discuss. It seems corny, but I really like books with that that soulmate connection. I don't know why it's the romantic in me that likes it, that likes knowing. Uh, do I believe in soulmates? No, but I know a lot of people that do. Um, I want to believe in soulmates. It's like unicorns. I want to believe in unicorns because they're cool and dragons. But I'm a really boring, practical person. So, <laughs> but I want to believe in it. And this, I love reading books with that connection. So it definitely hits the think, feel, and discuss for me. Um, and the discuss part comes from just the beauty of, of her prose. And I don't, it's hard to explain until you've read it. And I, I think a couple TLR people have read it now, but there's just something about the prose that really touches me. So there's something about a beautifully written book that elevates the story. So you can take a, a quite a simple story, and if you write it beautifully, that story becomes something poetic. I don't know. Um, look at Claire Ashton. Ashton's a good example of this. Her Poppy Jenkins story is actually quite a simple story, but it's so beautifully written that it just takes it to a whole new level. Right. Yes, I, I agree. Um, it is, a. I think, I almost think you can't write really heavy prose in a story that's super complicated, that has a ton of detail, because that's, that. I mean, you can and you can't, but to me, sometimes if it's not done right, it gets really bogged down. It's like photography, right? I like photography. I hobby photographer. And one of the things I learned a long time ago was that different types of photography are great for different, for highlighting different things. So I love taking black and white photos of buildings because I love seeing those clean lines of architecture. It's just, I love it. Uh, I think the, the black and white is great for emphasizing a line and shape. And I love taking color photography of things of nature, the sky, because you see all of these beautiful colors. I especially love the sky. And and then I discovered on accident, actually, that sepia, which is, you know, not really a serious photographer's color, I suppose, but sepia is excellent for showing texture. And I, I really discovered it on accident. So I think you find the same thing with any art medium, is that you have different ways of doing different things and that really highlight those things. So you're not, you know, you have ways of writing. If you have a, maybe a simpler storyline. And like you said, you write with such beautiful prose and it has to be well done. You can make it grow and bloom into just like a huge flower, right? That you might not have had, had you written it in a far simpler way. Can I read a, a short yeah, yeah. excerpt? Go ahead. Like, Go ahead. like just a couple lines from the, so Curved Horizon, uh, I, there were a few spots, like I said, the prose were gorgeous, and I have just a couple little excerpts from that particular book. So, they walked into a chilly midnight air, frost clung to car windshields and glass windows, a storm danced on the horizon, 
black clouds obstructed by strikes of lightning and beachside fog. Chelsea watched the whirl of rain and wind. It looked closer than it was, hovering far out over the top of the ocean in front of Catalina Island. She wondered if it would make its way toward shore, if in minutes or days it would cover them in rich dark clouds and heavy quarter-sized raindrops. So that's that's one section. The way that, that Taylor uh, paints an image that you were looking at, you know, it it's really about a lot of deep thought with these main characters because they're really, because they're so different and, you know, everything is saying they need to be together, but they have to really look at their own lives and, and investigate kind of within themselves. Why are we supposed to be together when we seem so different on the outside? So it's a big introspection thing, but, and then the next little bit Lies were the foundations she'd built her life on. She'd been trained in the art, the pronunciation, even the feel of lies when thought turned from passing to cemented and truth was twisted upside down and inside out. So it's just stuff like that, the the, the visual that she paints. I don't know. It's It really kind of touched me. So yeah, That is gorgeous. I mean, that is absolutely gorgeous. It's a pity about the cover. <laughs> yeah. You know, but who am I to judge covers? So some of some of the absolute best stories I've read, I have hated the covers. <laughs> but I mean, this is neither here nor there. And I know, I know some people are more cover snob than others. So, but I do, I do love the book. I'm a complete cover snob. Complete. Oh, I know. And I don't even I know you are. <laughs> and I'm... Brooklyn is a cover snob too. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. And and Tara, but she yeah. I think she downplays it more than me. I, I, I'll get quite passionate about covers. But you know why? <laughs> it's because covers are the first thing that sells. And I want Les Vick to sell. I want people to buy books like this that are so beautifully written. Because honestly, I would not pick up this book based on this cover. And especially, the, the actually has a very short blurb on the second book. And so it's really misleading if you if you haven't read the first book. And so it has a short blurb. I think I needed a longer blurb. Because for those people that would only read one or the other, you know, it doesn't really get them in, invested in it. Like, I know a lot of people that they're going to miss out on this book because they're going to see that it's a sequel to a male, male book. And they would totally miss out on it. And this is such a wonderful, wonderful book. This is the kind of writing that I love. Right. And that, honestly, that's absolutely, I mean, I, I loved this whole idea. That's just one of those tropes that I like. Um, it, it always ticks a box for me. And, but it wasn't until I started reading this book that I got drawn into it just based on the beauty of her writing alone. So it really was a, I guess a find, right? Because I wouldn't necessarily have said, and I've read male, male books. I wouldn't necessarily have said like, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to check out this book, you know? So I, I thank TLR for that because I may not have never have been exposed to it otherwise. So. Well, this is the thing. I try very hard when I'm looking at, um, you know, potential books to review. It's why I actually don't send you guys the covers. I only send you the blurbs because I think you get a more fair assessment of whether or not the book's got potential that way. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I agree. And I don't actually, I, I will look up every book you send me, um, but it's not because I want to see the cover. I'm not a cover snob. I do appreciate a good cover. But I'm one of those people that I have to open it up and I have to read the first couple pages because that's where you really get a feel of the author's writing style, you know, especially. And I, I would recommend it to every single person out there that, you know what, if you buy a book 
and you complain about stuff that happens in the very first chapter, sorry about your luck, but you had the option, almost all books I've seen that's a novel length, you have a read inside feature on Amazon alone that go in, read it. it. Maybe it's first person. So don't complain that it's in first person. And this is for any, I've seen some authors, some books that I absolutely love and some authors that I love. And I see some of the negative comments and I'm like, you know, I'm, I saw all of that in the first chapter. You know, you would have saved yourself money and heartbreak had you just simply read inside. So, you know, but it's really good to, because again, sometimes you'll bypass a book that you may not, you may love. Had you only opened the cover and read inside a first, you know, page, they usually give you a chapter almost. Read that chapter and you might find something you're really going to like and you would be sad if you had passed it up. That's an excellent point. And it's a, it's a very good tip because you're right. They do. They give you the, the free sample. Take advantage of it. I believe the only time you don't get a free sample is when it's a, like a mini novella. Typically you don't get anything with those. They're just too short. Yeah. Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you online? Because they're going to come follow you now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you want to follow me, but I am on Twitter um, under wordnerd68, but it's W-O-R-D-N-R-D-6-8. So that's Twitter. Um, on Facebook, I am at K Aiton Author. My website is www k-a-t-e-n-author.com so katon-author.com all right i'll put all the links in the show notes now before you go you have a very important question to answer for me if somebody has not read your books before what should they start with Uh, you know i am not a one genre person so it's really hard to answer that question I will say that it really depends on what you like. So if you are don't like sci-fi, you know, if you're one of those people that really dislikes hard sci-fi fantasy, maybe start with the rom-com, uh, Rules of the Road. If you like hard sci-fi, Waking the Dreamer, which is also my favorite book. So, but sci-fi is kind of, there's a twist. It's my favorite. I know it's got a TLR, one or two favorites. I like it because it kind of blows people away. Those are my favorites. But honestly, the most popular books, read the Amazon books, read the Fletcher. <laughs> Just start there. Those are the ones that people like. So, um, and I do love them. Those are, those are my feel books. Those are the ones that, you know, even rereading, even editing, um, third book makes me cry every time. And I'm the writer, which seems a little weird. So. Start start with the Amazon books. So basically, just read all of Kelly's books and you can find all the information on her website. Kelly, thank you so much. And you have been a stunning guest. <laughs> I'm wearing a hat. I'm not stunning. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Sheena. It was been, it's been fun. So This has been the Lesbian Review Podcast. You can find this and other awesome shows by searching for The Lesbian Talk Show anywhere you get your podcasts. We're even on Spotify now. Find more information on our guest in the show notes, as well as links to what we spoke about on this episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to see us creating more awesome content, then consider becoming a patron. Not only does this mean we can keep on doing this, but you will get exclusive podcasts that do not appear on the channel. 
You can find out all about it on patreon.com slash the lesbian talk show. The link is in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Bye. You're you're a very uh, deep thinker and I don't think you realize that not everybody is a deep thinker like that. I think I realize it. I think everybody realizes when they do something that's a little bit different than other people. I took a diversity class through work. It's really fascinating. It was about, you know, diversity in the workplace. And I came away with two pages of notes that had nothing to do with the class. They were my thoughts on diversity and on society structure pertaining to a lot of different things. And and I kind of made little little tree graphs. And then I tried to share them with my fiance and she's like, you I don't even understand. <laughs> she's, just, she's just like, no, please stop. It's too early. So, yeah. Sometimes you realize when you're not, when you're a little weirder than other people. So. Well, that's why you fit in so well at TLR. <laughs>